This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of physeal considerations from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. When evaluating a patient, especially younger patients, always look to see if the physis is open. Pediatric bone has some unique principles compared to adult bone, namely elasticity and remodeling potential. With respect to elasticity, pediatric bone is more elastic, which leads to unique fracture patterns like buccal fractures and green stick fractures. As far as remodeling potential, open physes can allow extensive bone deformity remodeling potential. It occurs more rapidly in the plane of joint motion, for example, the sagittal plane in the wrist due to primarily extension flexion in that plane. Remodeling potential occurs more at the most active physes, since these are the areas of most growth. The most active physes in the upper extremity are the proximal humerus and the distal radius. The most active physes in the lower extremity include the distal femur and the proximal tibia. In the setting of intraarticular fractures, pediatric fractures follow the same principles as adult bone in the sense that these fractures must be reduced. As far as anatomy, the perichondrial artery is the major blood supply and subsequently the major source of nutrition to the physis. Now, let's talk about physeal anatomy in a bit more detail. So the physeal growth plate contains the reserve zone, the proliferative zone, the hypertrophic zone, as well as the primary and secondary spongiosa, which are in the metaphysis. In the reserve zone, cells store lipids, glycogen, and proteoglycan aggregates for later growth, as well as matrix production. The reserve zone is also characterized by low oxygen tension. Important reserve zone abnormalities to remember include Gaucher's disease, diastrophic dysplasia, Neist dysplasia, and pseudoachondroplasia. In the proliferative zone, there is proliferation of chondrocytes with longitudinal growth and stacking of chondrocytes. The proliferative zone has the highest rate of extracellular matrix production, and the increased oxygen tension in the surroundings of the proliferative zone inhibits calcification. Important proliferative zone abnormalities to remember include achondroplasia, gigantism, and multiple hereditary exostosis. The hypertrophic zone is the zone of chondrocyte maturation, chondrocyte hypertrophy, and chondrocyte calcification. Three phases occur in the hypertrophic zone, the maturation zone, the degenerative zone, and the provisional calcification zone. In the maturation zone, there is preparation of the matrix for calcification and chondrocyte growth. In the degenerative zone, there is further preparation of the matrix for calcification and further chondrocyte growth in size, roughly five times the growth in fact. In the provisional calcification zone, chondrocyte death allows calcium release, which allows calcification of the matrix. In the hypertrophic zone, chondrocyte maturation is regulated by local growth factors, like parathyroid-related peptides, and expression is regulated by the Indian hedgehog gene. Type 10 collagen produced by the hypertrophic chondrocytes is important for mineralization in the hypertrophic zone. Important hypertrophic zone abnormalities to remember include skiffy, but not renal skiffies, rickets, which occurs in the provisional calcification zone specifically, and chondromas, mucopolysaccharide disease, acromegaly, spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, Neist syndrome, and pseudoachondroplasia. And it's important to remember that fractures most commonly occur through the zone of provisional calcification, specifically Salter-Harris-1 fractures. Moving on to the primary spongiosa of the metaphysis, this zone is characterized by vascular invasion and resorption of the transverse septa. 
Osteoblasts align on cartilage bars, which are produced by physeal expansion. Primary spongiosa are mineralized to form woven bone, and then it remodels to become secondary spongiosa, which we'll talk about in a second. Important primary spongiosa abnormalities to remember include metaphyseal corner fractures in child abuse and scurvy. So now to round out the physeal growth plate, we'll talk about the secondary spongiosa. This zone is characterized by internal remodeling, such as removal of cartilage bars and replacement of fibrous bone with lamellar bone. External remodeling, otherwise known as funnelization, also takes place in the secondary spongiosa. Important secondary spongiosa abnormalities to remember include renal-related skiffies. Now, let's move out of the physis and talk about two important regions of the physis periphery, and those are the groove of Ranvier and the perichondrial fibrous ring of Lacroix. So with respect to the groove of Ranvier, during the first year of life, this zone spreads over the adjacent metaphysis to form a fibrous circumferential ring bridging from the epiphysis to the diaphysis. This ring increases the mechanical strength of the physis and is responsible for appositional bone growth, and this ring basically supplies chondrocytes to the periphery. Osteochondromas are typically found in this zone. As far as the perichondrial fibrous ring of Lacroix, this is basically a dense fibrous tissue that is the primary limiting membrane that anchors and supports the physis through peripheral stability. Now, let's go over injury classification with respect to the physis, and the classification to know is the Salter-Harris classification, which is divided into five types. Type 1 is a physeal separation. Type 2 is a fracture that traverses the physis and exits the metaphysis. Remember that type 2 physeal injuries are the most common type, and remember the characteristic Thurston-Holland fragment, which is the small metaphyseal triangular portion of bone carried with the physis in Salter-Harris type 2 and type 4 fractures. Salter-Harris type 3 injuries are fractures that traverse the physis and exits the epiphysis. Type 4 is a fracture that passes through the epiphysis, physis, and metaphysis, and it too, like type 2 injuries, has a characteristic Thurston-Holland fragment. And finally, type 5 injuries are crush injuries to the physis. Finally, let's quickly talk about treatment of physeal injuries. Options typically include closed reduction versus closed reduction and percutaneous pinning versus open reduction and internal fixation. And the choice typically depends on the injury pattern. Intraarticular fractures must be reduced. Complications of physeal injuries include growth arrests, and complete arrest leads to shortening, while partial arrests lead to angulation. Treatment for growth arrests can be bar resection with interposition, which is indicated for less than 50% physeal involvement in the setting of greater than 2 years or 2 centimeters of growth remaining. Ipsilateral completion of arrest is indicated for greater than 50% physeal involvement, and you can combine this with contralateral epiphysiodesis and or ipsilateral lengthening. That's all for this review about physeal considerations. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow. 